When I started middle school, my family made the decision to move up north from the then small town of Stafford County, Virginia, so that my father would have an easier commute into Washington, D.C. The Falls Church area of Virginia was much different than the country roads and cornfields I was used to in Stafford. I enrolled in the seventh grade at Luther Jackson Middle School, nestled in the heart of Falls Church, which housed nearly 900 students between just two grades. To say I experienced a bit of culture shock is an understatement. The population represented 82 nationalities and 90% of the entire student body was in the ESL, or English as Second Language program. I distinctly remember feeling other than in that environment, very different from the middle-class white privilege I experienced most of my life up until that point. I remember a distinct moment in those early months of seventh grade which taught me a valuable lesson about how I knew I was different from my peers. I was eager and nervous to fit in with the student body. One day in our PE class, where I felt I excelled and could garner some real friendships, I gathered with a small group of chattering girls. One of them was of Asian descent, but at the time I was unaware of the diversity and complexities of being identified as Asian. I don't remember all of the specifics, but in conversation, I called one of the girls Oriental in the group and there was a hush. And I was unsure what had transpired in that moment that hung between us. She responded to me, honey, I am not food and I am not a rug. I am Vietnamese. My heart sank. Some of the girls chuckled, their hands flying to their mouths to keep their laughter hushed. I turned beet red and tried to recover, but it was too late. My ignorance was visible and glared like the row of metal braces donning my teeth. In the moment, I was embarrassed to be called out on the spot about my racist comment, but in reflection, it was a most valuable lesson for me, and I lean on that experience to think critically about being a Jesus follower, about our current national crisis, and how we are motivated to really love despite our differences. I don't doubt that you might have had a similar experience in your lifetime. You may have overstepped in conversation and felt embarrassed later on. You may have worked hard to fit into a group of people, but realized that you may just have nothing in common. You may have been called out for being different or could not reconcile a friend's point of view with your own. I believe in the first century Corinthian church, they experienced much of the same as they wrestled with ideas about living life the way that Christ implored them to live. The Corinthian church was a group of Gentile folks within the city proper of Rome in the first century, roughly the year 54 of the common era. Many of its members were of low socioeconomic status and held very low cultural status in the city around them. Rather than gathering as one congregation, maybe weekly, the group would split off into smaller numbers and gather in house church to worship and exchange ideas about faith. This dialogue prompted debate amongst members around matters of faith, which was impacted by their diverse ethnic, cultural, and religious histories. Remember that these were non-Jews who were not raised in the faith of the Israelite people, 
and they fumbled around the word given to them by Paul and other apostles who witnessed the ministry of Christ before his death. They earnestly desired to do as Christ had called, yet they were having a very difficult time staying together as a congregation. Much like the rest of the epistle letters, this letter to the Corinthian church is Paul's response to disputed matters which caused division within them. While we don't have the original work from the church to Paul, we can deduce much of their questions based on his answers in the letter. On a macro level, he calls the group to embrace two major themes, unity and love. And he had good reason to address these concerns because this group was at the point of internal implosion. They couldn't agree on things. They fought about theological rightness, and we hear this echo in Paul's response to them regarding love. You can have the best choir, but you'll sound like a crashing cymbal way out of place without love. You may have the most eloquent folks running your session, but if their conversation isn't based in love, you have nothing more than a bunch of talking heads. You may think your belief in faith is so magnanimous, but without it being rooted in love, you aren't doing much more than sending up empty prayers. Paul then directs what love is and should be as an action to them. And it seems likely that everything he describes about love is the opposite of what they're actually doing in community and in relationship with one another. You have likely heard this scripture used in a wedding, maybe even in your own wedding. And yes, these words can be used to describe love. But if we silo off 1 Corinthians 13 to weddings alone, we may be wishing, missing a valuable resource to challenge and affirm Christian love and unity. In chapter 12, we hear about the necessity of every part of the body of Christ, not the four walls which make up a place in which to worship, but the living, moving, breathing being of Christ incarnate in each of its members. We hear about the necessity of each body part, about prophets and teachers, those with healing gifts and those who speak in tongues. Each one of these parts was important to the community and Paul reminds them that with each role, Christ's body is unified and left without dissension or dispute. Love is vital in community Love is vital to the body of Christ and all of its members. Love does not simply motivate the community towards evangelism. Rather, love defines evangelism. What Paul doesn't share is how very hard this can be as a human being. We don't always get this stuff right, and it takes a lot of effort to really love everyone. I can't help but feel like a first century Corinthian, and maybe you do too. I can't help but feel like I'm grasping at straws to seek significance and truth in our modern day. Because we are human beings, we are wired to discriminate. That is, to distinctly favor one thing over another. We discriminate in our daily choices, but we also discriminate on larger, significant issues. On a lesser level, we discriminate between a tie or simply a button-down shirt and jacket to our Zoom work meeting. We decide if we will have a banana and yogurt or the tempting egg McMuffin for breakfast. 
We make financial choices which influence our family. We discriminate about neighborhoods and where to raise our children. We favor one college over another for our, our education. And these choices we make divide us in many ways, which can have both insignificant and significant repercussions on our understanding of community. Like the Corinthian church, we also discriminate or distinctly favor one thing over another regarding matters of faith. Is it contemporary worship or traditional? Do we sing from the blue hymnal or do we sing from the new glory to God hymnal? Do we sprinkle our children at the baptismal font or wait to dunk them in the river in a few years? Are we an affirming and open congregation to the LGBTQ community or those who may not be able to dress up as nicely as we do when we come to church? Do we secretly hope people of color will find a different place to worship? We similarly wrestle with theological rightness in our modern church as the Corinthians wrestled with one another in the common era. So Paul directs the Corinthians and us modern Christians to unity and love. Paul calls this community towards respect and love as adults seeking to follow Jesus' example in their own relationships and the world around them. He challenges them to think and respond to the world as mature, faithful believers, not like the seventh graders they once were, ignorant in their bias and lofty in their speech towards others different from them. Paul reminds them that love's power is mighty enough to lift them above their insignificant discrimination as well as the larger significant decisions. Love is an action word that ought to inform their existence as the church and not some flowery word used in just a marriage vow. I recently heard a sermon about God's incredible love for us all and our necessary response to love one another. The challenge was to consider turning away from indifference towards others and turning towards love and unity in Christ. So I want you to imagine the neighbor who lives in the home or apartment next to yours. Draw up their image in your mind right now, and while you do so, I want you to sit and think about some of these questions. What would it take for you to love your neighbor to your right or to your left? Can you work hard to see the image of God in that person? Is the call to follow Christ worth it to love that person despite the ways you are different? Can you see the beauty of uniting with that person to serve and love the Lord? I know I am challenged by the great maturity of spirit required to live and love to myself and others on a daily basis. I am challenged to love when I don't feel like loving. I am challenged to love in order that I might see God in another. I am challenged to love when I think my way is best, my theology is best, my perspective is best. But then I remember the beauty of the faces of that diverse middle school in Falls Church, Virginia. I remember the great depth of culture, perspective, and value systems which made me tremble with awe and wonder. And I know the church well enough to see the beauty of our similarities and our differences. We can find hope in our mutual love for Christ and to answer the call to serve. We may not always get it right, nor do it the best way we could possibly muster. In fact, 
Professor Brene Brown, a well-known researcher of courage, vulnerability, and leadership, encourages herself with this mantra when she faces a difficult moment required of her. I'm here to get it right, not to be right. I'm here to get it right, not to be right. I'm here to get it right, not to be right. In this endeavor to grow toward love, toward reconciliation with one another, toward maturity of faith, we may not always agree, nor will we always seek the same vehicle to do the work of Christ in the world. But we affirm a God whose love is not measured with a measuring stick. We love because we were first loved, and we believe God so loved the world that God gave God's only Son that whomever believed, not who looked like me or talked like me or thought like me, whomever believed shall have everlasting life. When we aim to unite and love for these purposes, when we aim to get it right, not to be right, we too might live to bear all things with one another, believe all things with one another, hope all things with one another, and endure all things with one another. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, Amen.